Thanks for joining us today. We are always encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all across the world through what He's doing right here in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Please take a moment and share what God is doing in your life by sending an email to info at cccmurphy.com. We trust that you will be blessed by today's message. Today is our last installment of this series, March Madness. And I'm, how many of you have been following the brackets? You know, Texas Tech just really messed me up this past week. I was poised to take over my bracket. I was going to be able to glory in being number one. That didn't happen. Thanks to Texas Tech. Everybody say they're out of position. I mean, think about it. They were, were ranked, what, number three? And they played a number two. Is that right? Number two seed team. And they beat them. That wasn't supposed to happen. How many of you have ever feel like you've been underrated? <laughs> so I, what I want to talk to you today about is being out of position. Would you say that with me? Out of position. I noticed that uh, when we've gone to watch some of the college games and I've, I've seen passes that get thrown, but the person's out of position, so they're not there to catch the pass. Or if you get ready to do a fast break and nobody's there when they're supposed to be there, you can get out of position. There are some plays that have been called and it's really easy to say, see that the player's out of position because everything runs and then all of a sudden a ball goes someplace and no one's there. And then there's this look of, you know, hey, did you miss that play? Out of position. But how many of you know that players aren't the only ones that can get out of position? As a matter of fact, I've been to a few games where I thought they were going to have to call in the National Guard to escort the referees out of the game. You know, some people take basketball real serious. <laughs> and so I was, in, I was at a game, and I'll never forget, man. I mean, I've been at a game, you know, and you've always got, you know, the, the parents in the seats that are, oh, what's wrong with you, ref, you know, and stuff like that. But I was in a game about a month or so ago, and, man, the whole auditorium was erupting. And I got to tell you, man, the refs were making some bad calls. And I heard things like, are you blind? Call it at both ends. How much did they pay you? And I told my wife to settle down. No. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Debbie. De De Debbie would never do that. It was Donna that was no. Okay, no. It, so, but what I'm saying is people get involved in it. But here's the truth. Our refs can literally cost a good team a game by making a call when they're out of position. 
You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? They're out of position. You can't call a shot underneath the basket if you're standing half court. And so I, I've watched refs, I've watched calls made where there's a ref right by the play that doesn't blow a whistle at all. And then some guy that's way on the other end of the court is blowing a whistle. And I thought, man, what's this guy got? X-ray vision. You know, that he saw through all those players and he could see that underneath the basket. And it, it can really get frustrating when you're out of position. So what I want to talk to you about today is about what, what happens when people make calls that have no business making calls because they're out of position. Amen. If you would watch this with me. You know that. Oh, and it's cheap. But if you don't like it, I'll show you another one. Turning the house of our Lord into a marketplace. It's a shame. Little Mark. Don't care. You're the same rate as all the other stores, my friend. It comes to ten shekels and a half. Take two instead of one. The Lord will be grateful. Two fine lambs. Two fine lambs. I did this trick to be defied. and preach somewhere else. City, she that was full of justice has become a harlot. Stop him! I do not know. I do not know. Has it not been told you from the beginning? What are your multitude of sacrifices to me, says the Lord, at the brink of pretty powerful, isn't it? When Christ goes into the temple and he begins to drive people out of the temple. You say, what caused it? Now, in fairness, the scripture didn't say that he picked up a stick. The scripture said he picked up a whip. As a matter of fact, he made the whip. This wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. He looked at what was going on and he fashions a whip and he begins to drive them out. The question needs to be asked, why? And the reason is, is because there are people that are out of position that are making calls that are affecting other people's lives. 
What are you getting at, Pastor? When it says the temple, it's talking about the outer court. When you watch that clip, it looked like a marketplace. That wasn't a marketplace. That was the outer court of the temple. And they had turned it into a marketplace. When he said, it's written that my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. He said, but you've made it a den of thieves. What's the connotation? What's he driving at? Well, you could not purchase sacrifices at the temple with Roman coins because they had an image of Caesar on it, so it was considered an idol, a false god. So they had to change the Roman coins into shekels for the temple. But the exchange rate that they were giving, they were, let's say that they were getting more in the exchange than they were supposed to be getting. There's no other place to exchange it. Commentators believe that several people were bringing lambs and doves down or sacrifices to the temple and the priest would inspect it and say, this sacrifice isn't good enough. You need to go in to the outer courts and buy a sacrifice there, buy a lamb there. And so there is a monopoly going on but the, and, and there's just an injustice going on. Now let's erase all that for a second. Let's just say for convenience sake that they needed the exchange that they needed the lambs and the pigeons the big sin here the big problem isn't that they're exchanging the problem is they're doing it in the outer court of the temple and somewhere somebody made a call and said, it's all right to use the outer court. And whoever made that call was out of position. Amen. They were taking authority they didn't have. Why is he so angry? Why is he grabbing a whip and driving people out of the outer court? It's because the outer court was known as the court of the Gentiles. It was the only place that they were allowed to pray. It was the only place in the compound that they could pray and that they could worship. And, and Jesus saw that a group of people got out of position and started to force another group of people out of his presence. So he grabbed a whip and he went to work saying, no one has the right to keep somebody out of my presence. So he moves them. He repositions them. You can't make that call. You can't do that. And he begins to overthrow the tables of money changers. He begins to drive out the lambs and, and, and the pigeons. It's not because they weren't needed there for convenience sake. It was a good thing because people came from all over to sacrifice at the temple. What Jesus is doing is saying, why did you set this up? at a place that's supposed to be a place of prayer at the expense of keeping somebody from me. I think that the film that we watched depicts pretty well what it looked like in that outer court. It didn't have any semblance of a place you could pray. It looked like a flea market happening. 
It looked like a place where people were looking for the best deals and you could even hear murmuring in there that, hey, that's, that, that, that's not right. That, that exchange rate you're charging me more, it's the same as every stand. They had a monopoly on it. And Jesus said, not in my father's house because it's a house of prayer. I thought about how much he cares for us, how much he loves us. In 2 Peter 3 and 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us. How many of you are glad that he's long-suffering? They said, well, what's that, what's that word long-suffering mean? It, turn it around. It means to suffer long. <laughs> In other words, he has patience with us. How many of you have ever run out of patience with someone? Surely not. And, and, and you know, and it's just like, you know, I've heard people say, they're on my last nerve. Praise us like, okay, now that's the straw that broke the... We don't even have camels. <laughs> but that straw broke his back, you know. And, 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 and just, you know, just, you know down to, I, I heard one woman call a pastor up and she said, she said, I called you to give you a piece of my mind. He said, sister, I wouldn't dream of taking the last piece. He told me he had to call her back and apologize. <laughs> what are you talking? I'm talking about the being long-suffering. And I want you to think about the person sitting next to you and how many times they've messed up. <laughs> Man, it's real quiet. <laughs> That's because it's real. We're looking at him going, yeah, I can think right now, buddy. You've got a whole lot of this. And, and we tend to do that. But when you begin to, that's really what communion's about is it's taking a look inside. Because the scripture said if we eat or drink unworthily, we eat or drink damnation to ourselves. What's it saying? It's not talking about that you're all that in a bag of chips. It's talking about the fact that if we take communion and we're not discerning why we're doing it. We're not recognizing him in it. It's just become a routine to us. And it's just something we do every week or we do every quarter. And, and it's just become a routine. He said, you can't do that because you, you, what, you're, what it symbolizes is so important. And here Peter says, look, the Lord has been long-suffering with us. He's not slack concerning his promises. I mean, how many of us have ever seen someone that we felt like God ought to just pour out all his wrath on? And it seems like they, they don't have a problem in the world. And we're thinking, God, you know what they're doing. And we spend time in prayer letting God know all their faults and failures. We spend time reminding God what a rat they are. And we can't figure out why God won't act. What about the time you were a rat? Anybody hungry for some cheese in here? What about the time we needed that mercy? Aren't we glad it was there for us? 
aren't we glad he extended it to us? And that's what Peter's conveying to them. He said, God's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering toward us. Now listen to this, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. I'm going to tell you up front, if you wind up in hell, it's going to be because you chose to go. Because he'll do everything he can to keep you from that place. Amen. It's not his will that any should perish. He continues to reach to us. He can think about someone drowning and the frustration. If you're on a ship and someone's drowning and you grab a life jacket or a, one, of the, one of those things called a life preserve with a rope on it and you throw it to them and your throw is perfect and it lands right in front of them and they refuse to grab onto it. You would begin to cry out, what are you doing? What are you, let me save you. Christ cries out from Calvary's cross, what are you doing? To the people that were crucifying him, he turned his face toward heaven and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Amen. And so he wants to pull us in. But if we reject him, if we won't, it's not his will that any should perish. How many of you ever felt like you, don't raise your hand on this, but be honest in your heart. How many of you ever felt like you met some folks that were just, they didn't deserve to be saved? You know what I'm talking about? Just some rascals. Just some folks that you felt like, and, and if you're honest, you smile a little bit in your heart when you thought about judgment day coming. You're going to get yours. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's not his will that any should perish. You remember when the guy got saved in prison? What was the guy's name that Jeffrey Dahmer? You remember that? See, some of you are too young to remember that, but this guy had brutalized several young men killed them and eaten them when they found him when they finally arrested him they found parts of people in freezers and he was he was beat to death in jail and honestly when he got that all the talk around town was well he got what was coming to him serves him right but where we struggled was when all of a sudden it came out that he had given his life to God and accepted Christ and we thought there's no way that God would ever save him. Do you understand you're, you're out of position? You don't have the right to make that call because you're focused on the man's faults instead of God's grace. You're focused on what he did wrong instead of on what Jesus did to rescue us. You're questioning the power of the grace of God. The power of God's ability to take the most wretched individual and apprehend their heart and turn them toward heaven. We're not the first people that struggled with that. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, Jesus calls a tax collector. His name's Matthew. He calls Matthew to follow him, and then he goes to Matthew's house to eat dinner with a bunch of other sinners. And when they go down there and they're eating... Pharisees show up and they are upset. 
They look at his disciples and they say, can I put it in plain terms? What's your, what's your master doing eating with that scum? Because that's the way they felt about it. They called them tax collectors and sinners. This, this is a group of people that would stand on a street corner and say, I thank God I'm not like other men. Well, I thank God you're not like me either. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They're, 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 they're out of position. They're making calls that they shouldn't be making. And, and, and they're, what, what are you doing eating with Matthew? And Jesus overhears him. And he looks at him and he just looks at him. He said, you know, folks that think they're all right don't need a doctor. It's the people that know they're sick that need him. And then he said, hey, I, I got a scripture I want to give to you. And he says, now, you figure out what this scripture means. And this is what Jesus says to them. He, he tells them, he said, now go and learn the meaning of this. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting from Hosea 6 and 6, where the prophet says, for I desired, the prophet speaking on behalf of God, and he said, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What's that mean? What's he saying? In plain terms, this is what he's saying. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me, then I want your burnt offerings. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you, you get so entrenched in the tapestries of religion that you forget religion can't save you. You get so focused. You're getting yourself out of position. You're, offer, you're going through a form of offering sacrifice and the supreme sacrifice was standing before them and they didn't recognize it. He said, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifice. I, I want you to know me, not your burnt offerings. And so they shun those that he's choosing. Aren't you glad that he didn't let that influence them? Because <laughs> if he had, folks, he'd have never chosen me. And he would have probably never chosen you either. But rather, he sees us at the point of our need. I knew, how many of you know when you're sick? How many of you have to have somebody tell you you're sick? <laughs> you know, I'm talking about some of us get up. <coughs> Where are you going? <coughs> I'm teaching Sunday school. Not if I can help it, you're not. <laughs> you, what are you saying? You say, because what happens is when we don't recognize we're sick, we just keep making other people that way. Amen. Oh, it got quiet in here. I thank God I'm not like that man. <coughs> Anybody ever been around someone that just made you want to regret? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you erase that from live stream? <laughs> Any one of you have been around someone that made you sick to your stomach? No, let's get where it's real. The fact is that there are sometimes that we're looking at folks and we think, oh, man, I just... And the truth is that sometimes God's trying to work on you, not them. 
because we're getting out of position. We're making calls that we've got no right to make a call. When that woman that was caught in the act of adultery, when you're caught in the act, there's little wiggle room for innocence. But even there, Jesus saw they were out of position. Oh, they were positioned well enough to catch her in the act. Well, where's the person that was in the act with her? He's not there. I mean, if they caught her in the act, he had to be there. But she's the only one they bring down. Why? Because they're out of position. They're making a determination on who's guilty and who's not. And in this case, the law said that they were to be stoned. So they're making a determination on who gets to live and who doesn't get to live. Can I tell you that there's another tax collector that is so tired of life the way it is, he pressed through a crowd and climbed a tree that he could just get a glimpse of him. He had no thought that he would ever be recognized, but great was his desire in his heart that he said, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to see him. When you're willing to push past the crowd to position yourself, you've got to get in position. When you're playing basketball, you get five fouls. You're out of the court. When Jesus showed up at the temple, these folks had fouled out. He's driving them out of the court. <laughs> you don't get to stay in this court. Let me just tell you, and be quite honest with you. There was a lot of times in life I fouled out. And I'm so thankful that he was the one that was assuming the position to make the call on whether I got to live or die. On whether I got to stay or be ostracized. He rescued me. Amen. He does the same thing for that woman. Everybody's got in their mind what he wrote in the sand. Nobody knows. I mean, he could have been writing phone numbers. <laughs> Pastor, there weren't any phones then. He knows the beginning from the end. He knew what your phone number was going to be. He had your number before you ever got one. <laughs> But he, he stoops down and he writes in the sand. And I don't know what he's writing, but I've always, I've always want, how many of you got imagination? I always imagined that he, he wrote the guy's name down that was caught with him, with her. And, they, and then he says, he that's without sin cast the first stone. Don't you know that it was a sin for them to judge one and let the other go free? It may have been one of their buddies they may have set the whole deal up just to try and trap Jesus. It wouldn't have been the first time. Amen. But what Jesus does is in the midst of people that are getting ready to take a life, he saves one. In the midst of a situation that's choosing to destroy, he decides to build. And he tells her, woman, where are your accusers at? Well, when he got done telling them he that's without sin cast the first stone, they all left. 
she looked up and looked around and said, Lord, I have none. There was only one person there that day that could accuse her. There was only one person in the crowd that day that was without sin. And he looked at her and said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Aren't you glad that you've got Jesus in your corner? <laughs> Out of position. I mean, think about it. We were Gentiles. We, we didn't have a shot. Under the law, Gentiles didn't have a shot at salvation. We were ostracized. We were considered dogs. And it's proven in the gospel. There's a, a unique story that happens that, that looks, when you look at it and you see Jesus doing what he's doing, it's hard to understand until you understand the why behind it. There's a woman that's from Canaan. Everybody say she's a Gentile. Let me make it easy. She's not a Jew. She comes up running up to Jesus and she said, Lord, my, my, my daughter's tormented with the devil. You've got to help me. You've got to help me. And he ignores her. Won't, won't say anything to her. Run up here and holler at me. Yeah. I mean, don't holler. You know what I mean. You're the woman. Then you read that passage. <laughs> no, okay. Just keep yelling. Jesus. Jesus, you gotta help me. Louder. My daughter, she's sick. You gotta help me. Louder. Jesus, Jesus. And the disciples, all of a sudden, they get she gets in one of their ears, you know. And they turn around and they run up to Jesus and they they, they say, Lauren. Would you send this woman away, man? She's driving me nuts. She's screaming. She won't, she won't leave. Just, just send her away. Send her away. And he turns around. Okay, hang on a second. He turns around. He turns, he turns around and looks at them. Still ignores her. Looks at them and says, I'm only sent to the lost house of Israel. He ignored her. And we're thinking, what's the deal? How could Jesus ignore someone that's crying? It's because she's out of position. Let me explain. She's a Gentile. Now, Jesus would later tell them in the book of John that I have sheep of another flock that you know not of. I'm going to bring them into, and there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. Amen. Now hear me, but she's out of position because Jesus hasn't positioned himself at Calvary yet. That won't happen until he dies. And with his death, we will become all one people because the blood sets us free so he he knows that i i'm not in that position yet i'm i'm not positioned to give you what you're asking for yet and then she does something unique she changes her position and she goes from hollering at him to dropping down at his feet he looked at her and he said she she begins to worship him and he looked and he said look it's not meat that I cast children's bread to dogs and she looked up and said true Lord but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table
table. And when she worshipped him, it repositioned him. And he thought, I know I haven't gone to Calvary yet, but I, got, I can't help myself. There's something about worship that demands a response. There's something about worship that gets me back in position for a miracle. And so he calls to her and says, your faith has got you what you're asking for. As your faith is, so be it to you. She worshiped. Most of the time we're going through trouble and trial. We're doing what she was doing in the beginning of that story. We're screaming our heads off at God. We're hollering. It says, you got, you got to help me. You got to help me. Yay, I'm, I'm in trouble here. But that didn't get his attention. That didn't get her her miracle. Her miracle came when she repositioned herself in front of him. Amen. Fell down at his feet. And she worshiped. You know what that word means in Greek? It means to lick the hand like a dog. What's, what do you, what, what's that? Lick the hand like a dog. It means that she had come into full surrender to him. He called her a dog. You call a lady a dog in here, you'll have to get your face slapped. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised all the ladies didn't yell, Amen! She didn't argue with him. She was done arguing. She realized that wasn't getting her any place. She was done being angry. Amen. She was done being desperate. And she just decided, I'm going to love you. I know it's true. I understand I'm a dog. It's true. But even dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. And can, I, can, I, can I put this in plain English for you? So Jesus looks at her and said, hey, look, I can't give you the full loaf right now because I haven't died at Calvary yet. But I'll give you that crumb you're asking and a crumb from his table is enough to defeat Satan. <laughs> so how about it? Are you ready to take back your position? Maybe you've been out of position. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been looking at things and complaining to God instead of worshiping God. Maybe you've been frustrated with where you're at, and maybe sometimes because of where you're positioned at, you just can't see everything from where you are. You remember the, oh, well, no, you're not going to remember it. I, I'll just explain it to you. How many of you remember who Red Skelton was? Those of you that don't have your hands up, this is your homework. Go and Google it. He was, he, was, he was a great comedian, and he was involved in a film called Southern Yankee. 
Any of you saw that film? Here's your homework. Go Google it. <laughs> You'll come back and thank me for it. So he's a bellhop in a hotel. He finds out he, he discovers a Confederate spy. So he dresses up like the spy. They decide to use him even though he's out of position. I mean, this guy's not, he's a bellboy and he's not a good bellboy either. <laughs> I mean, he's always getting in trouble, but, but he's all they got. And so they, they say, look, we got to position you. And, and so they take him to where this battle is, and he's supposed to cross into the enemy lines. But you got the north on one side and the south on the other, and there's a battle going on, and the guy's getting ready to leave him. And he said, what are you doing to me? He said, well, you, you, you got to make it. He said, how am I going to make it? He said, if I have this, this Union soldier on, they're going to shoot me. If I put on this Confederate soldier's uniform, then the North is going to shoot me. What am I supposed to do? And he said, well, you're the one that got yourself in this mess. So he decides he's got to reposition himself. So he puts on the Confederate uniform on this side of his body. He puts the Union uniform on this side of his body. He takes two flags. He's got a Confederate flag waving on this side and a Union flag waving on that side. And he walks right down the middle of the battlefield. <laughs> and and all, the, all the Confederates are going, Woo, look, Johnny Reb, woo! All the Unions are going, hey, look at the hero, look at the, whoa! And then the wind changed. And the flag switched. And he's running through the battlefield getting shot at. I'm telling you, we've got to make up our mind what side we're on. Amen. Because sooner or later, the wind's going to change in your life. And you're going to find yourself right in the middle. On one side, people cheering for you to, I think about it. Hebrews, it said, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let's run the race that's been set before us. You can't live for God when it's convenient for you. Agrippa tried that. He looked at Paul and he said, at a more convenient season, I'll call for you. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You can't live a life of almost. You've got to make up your mind, I'm going to get repositioned. So this is what my question is for you today. Are you ready to position yourself for a miracle? Would you stand Amen. with me? It doesn't happen by complaining. It doesn't happen by judging others. It only happens when in the middle of your mess, you decide to worship God anyway. Amen. What are you doing? You're, you're telling God, I'm not worshiping you because everything's going right in my life. I choose to worship you regardless of what's Amen. going on in my life. Amen. Amen. So this is what I'm going to ask you. If you're in this place today and you need a miracle, I'm going to ask you to position yourself for that by assuming a place of worship.
I'm going to ask Jack to come if he would. Jack's been diagnosed with, I believe it's liver cancer, is that right? Stage four. So we know what the doctor's report is. And I've already talked to Jack. I said, Jack, either way this goes, you win. The scripture said, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? I understand that I can't be a loser when I've chosen him. But Jack talked to me, and he wants to hang around for a while. We want him to hang around for a while. Amen. Now, we know someone that can make that happen. His name is Jesus. So I want you right now to position yourself for a miracle. I want you, church, to raise your hands and begin to worship. Would you do that right now? Just raise your hands and begin to worship. And I don't want our eyes on a doctor's report. I don't want our eyes on technicians. And I want us to focus our eyes on Jesus. He's the great physician. You know, here's the difference about Christ is he's able to do what we can't. So, Father, we come to you right now, loving you and worshiping you, thanking you, God, for everything that you've done for Jack. God, you've let him see his family come home. God, you've allowed him to see so many miracles. And, Father, we're just asking and trusting you to let him see another. Lord, I speak life over him. God, arrest the cancer. God, add to him life. Give him more time. We ask in Jesus' name, and we give you praise for it right now. Come on and give him a hand clap of praise in this house. Thank you, Father. It's not about what it looks like. Because how many of you have ever seen him move beyond what you were able to see? Lisa had been struggling trying to get a job for some time now, right? Two years. Kept going. And I saw her in those moments when, man, she was just, you know, it just, and yet this week, all of a sudden, she's got a job and she's starting next, what, on, you start training on the night, on the night. There's an old song we used to sing that said, he may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. He's right on time. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do across this building today. I'm asking you to run to meet him. That woman didn't wait for Jesus to get to where she was. She ran to where he was. She tried yelling and it didn't work. So she decided to worship instead. Whatever you've been doing that isn't working, I just want to invite you to try worship instead. So all across this building right now, right, right where you're at, look, if you're in here and you need a miracle, God can give you a miracle right where you're at. I'm glad to pray for you, but one thing I want you to understand is it's not my hand that's going to make a difference, it's His. 
it's his so wherever you're at you may be praying for family you may be seeking God for a financial breakthrough you may be in a position that Jack's in and, and you need healing in your body and you need it now you may need healing in your spirit you may have a breakdown in communication with those that are close to you and it's making your life miserable we give so many things to so many people we give a check to Amron UE every month we send one to AT&T or down here I think it's Verizon we give Walmart a good portion of our paycheck that's so tunes can keep working there we, we give so much to so many people and it's not making a difference in our lives I mean well yeah I get to stay connected and I get you know I I, 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 I get these benefits from it but it's not until you give everything would you say it with me everything you don't get to hold anything back when you give everything to Jesus listen to what he said seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and Walmart and Verizon and Amron you all these other things will be added to you you just got to make sure you're positioned right because if you get out of position you can miss what God's waiting to do in your life we hope you've been touched by today's message I wanted to take a moment and just remind you how very much God loves you the Apostle Peter tells us that it's not his will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance in the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, God speaks through the prophet and tells us that I know what my plans are for you, that they're plans for good and not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God wants for your life. He has a plan and a purpose designed specifically for you. And you can walk into that plan and purpose by just asking him in your heart today. I wonder if you'd take a moment right now and just stop wherever you're at and pray this prayer with me. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus was crucified on my behalf, that you raised him from the dead so that I could have life. And right now, I accept you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, we believe that angels are rejoicing in heaven because you've come home. Now the important thing is for you to find a good Bible-believing church and become a part of that as you continue your journey with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and be with us any chance you get. Until then, remember, Jesus loves you and we do too.